And people need to understand it's one thing to know how to do the work. It's another to understand how to navigate the political landscape, right? Because what you're really dealing with is a whole bunch of people at the end of the day. And you've got to know how to build interpersonal relationships. You've got to understand what the social norms are within the organization that you work in. I'm Janet Ioli, and you're listening to Power Presence Academy practical wisdom for leaders. If you're looking for leadership mentoring, advice, or just a dose of inspiration, I've got you covered. Join me as I share leadership tips and lessons of experience from experts and from executives at the top of their game. This is your go-to place for all things leadership. It doesn't have to be lonely at the top. Let's go. Today's guest is Candace Gibbons, and I'm really excited to have her with me today. Dr. Candace Gibbons is a systems engineer, and she's a vice president at Northrop Grumman, and she has over 25 years of experience in the aerospace and defense industry. So, Candace, welcome. Thank you very much. I'm super excited to be here with you today, Jan. Yeah, no, I'm excited to have you. So I'm going to start out, Candice, and when I have a real conversation, I want to start out with what I ask everybody at the very beginning of this show, because I think it's interesting and that's what people are curious about is, okay, talk about your leadership journey. How'd you go from systems engineer to where you are today? My first management official leadership job was actually leading the telemetry and command systems engineering functional group that I had worked in. So when I started- That's a mouthful. So I'm just thinking people listening to that, wow. (laughs) What is that? Yeah, probably some people are going to think to themselves, what is that? Right. Right. I had worked as an electrical harness designer. I studied electrical engineering undergrad and I have my master's in systems engineering, but I worked as a systems engineer primarily throughout my career. And so I had been in industry for maybe about eight years and- I knew I wanted to be a leader and I'd always, I was really fortunate to have leaders who saw things in me before I saw them. And when someone was going to retire and move out. And so there was this shuffle that was about to happen. And I got tapped on the shoulder, like, Hey, would you be interested in leading the group? And I was like, Oh, well, sure. I'll apply. Right. And we'll see how it goes. And it turns out I got that role. And then I just, I liked it. I liked having this balance between leading people, but also still having technical accountability. And so I have meandered in and out of being a program manager, but also being a functional manager because I like developing people. And so I leveraged that first position to become like a broader kind of IPT lead, an integrated product team lead on a program, and then became like, I just kept becoming my boss. It was interesting, right? Like, somebody would move out or get a new position and they would be like, well, who could take over or who can we bring from another program to take over? And I just got to move up to where eventually I was leading all of our kind of operations and maintenance programs for vice president. And so I was reporting to the vice president. I was getting to see a lot of directors. I was still a senior manager at the time, but it was great. So I got a peek behind the curtain of what the executives look like. But that's also when I started seeing some challenges, right? Because I was one of the 
few, only women in the room, right? And my male counterparts were directors and I was still a manager, even though I was hitting all of my financial commitments and exceeding a lot of people's financial contributions to the business in the room. And I started trying to figure out, well, when do I get to become a director, Mm -hmm. right? When does that executive step happen for me? And it became evident that it wasn't going to happen in the organization that I was in. So I started looking for opportunities elsewhere. And that's actually how I ended up at Northrop for the second time in my career. Because when I started my career, I was at a company called TRW at the time that had since been acquired by Northrop. And so I ended up hiring into the Baltimore piece of the space sector of Northrop in like 2015. And so sometimes when I'm talking to people and they say they want to be a leader, I'm like, well, what are you willing to do to get it? So I moved cross country. I changed jobs because I thought I had something in me that, you know, the business just couldn't support at the time in California. And so I moved cross country to see if I could actually do it. And it worked out really well because I was a director. Then I became a senior director and eventually became a vice president in 2019. So it was definitely worth it. And so I always tell people, if you really want it, you have to be willing to sacrifice to get it because it's not always going to come in like a cute package where you want it, when you want it, right? And so you have to ask yourself, if you really want it, what are you willing to do to go get it? Yeah, that's such a powerful reminder of doing the work, right? Like preparation and then also doing the work and taking risks. And that's, I think your story just exemplifies that. And I like some of the things you touched on. I want to follow up on a little. The first thing I would ask you though, as I hear that story is, okay, so where you are now, is a little bit far from where you just described. <laughs> yeah. What advice would you give yourself now in what you know now to the person starting out, that young engineer who was starting out in this industry and starting out in the field? Yeah, I would just say trust your gut, right? Mm-hmm. Because now looking back on it, it worked out just fine, right? And, but I always was willing to take a chance. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what, oh, let me, you know, when I worked in El Segundo, so a program down in Seal Beach needed some help, right? Another department, another facility. A lot of people didn't want to go. I would go. I was curious. I was always wanting to understand how other teams did work or how other businesses operated. And my willingness just to drive down the freeway a little further, right, just gave me exposure to what had been a few other historical cultures because it was a little bit of McDonnell Douglas. It was a little bit of Rockwell. I was in the Legacy Hughes organization. There were just all these different cultures coming together, but I got to see how other people did work and how other people thought about things or approach problems. And that has helped me become such a great leader because I know that there are multiple ways to get to success, right? And I think what I see a lot of my peers And a lot of people coming up struggle with is that they've only worked in one place and they only know how to do things one way and they can't get out of their own way and see that there are a lot of other ways to approach things. And so I would just tell my younger self to keep doing what you're doing because it's going to work out. You know, I see sometimes people are just waiting for the package, like it to come in this nice little package. And from your story, I see that. Well, but you know what, Janet, I also... I want people to understand that I am a divorced woman with no children. Mm. And so it also gave me a lot of flexibility. I didn't have to Mm. worry about pulling kids out of school. My father is deceased, but my mom is relatively healthy. So 
I've been very blessed where I haven't had to worry about negatively impacting other people right. in my life. Right. And right. so it's true. a lot of flexibility. And so sometimes you just can't move. If that opportunity right. is in another state and you can't That's do true. it, it's okay. But just know that the opportunities don't always come up. And so having, you know, partners in your life that support the career journey that you think you're on, making sure that everybody's with you and wants to move with you on that journey, right? It just it becomes more complicated, I think, the more life you have going on around you. Right. And you've got to be realistic about that, right? So there's something about, okay, so I need to adjust my expectations if I can't meet up to that challenge, right? Yeah, and to be okay with that. Right, exactly, and exactly. That, like what you're doing for your family is way more important, right? I mean, exactly. I think if we've all learned anything through COVID, it's like, well, what's really important? Exactly. Right, your family's important. Your health is important. Your well-being is really important. And yes, if you're great at a job, let's do that too. But I feel like we're all getting back into a little more balance and a little more understanding of what's how we really want to spend our time, the little time that we have, right? How do you want to spend it? And that's regardless of what the job is. And so let me ask you this. So how do you manage it all? Obviously, you've got this powerhouse job. You're doing this, all this stuff. What's your secret? Or do you have one? You know what it is? I like to take it in chunks. And Uh so- I promised myself a long time ago that I would try my best to take care of me along the way. And the way I used to do it was, okay, once a quarter, I would do like a little mini vacation, maybe drive like down to San Diego or drive somewhere just, you know, within a couple of hours, somewhere I could go for a couple of days and just unplug. And I never work on my birthday. And we talk about self-care and taking the importance of well-being, but it seems to be the first thing to go for people. Yes. And so I love that you've created routines and you've created almost rituals, yeah. right? To manage your energy because without your energy, you can't do anything. Right. <laughs> and you're yeah. not good and you're not effective at what you're doing. And I know we know this and we say this and we talk about it, but we don't necessarily make it a ritual, make it an yeah. important ritual. I'm going to pivot a little bit, Candice, and talk a little bit about challenges. You know, we all face challenges throughout the course of our career, but are there any unique challenges that you face, you think you've faced or obstacles or anything that you faced as a woman or even as a woman of color as you've moved up the leadership ranks? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. As a black woman, I have some, the unique challenge of often being underestimated. Mm-hmm. Now it has turned out to be a gift and a curse. Okay, so let me, I'm going to stop you for a second, right? Because I want to understand this. So what do you mean underestimated? Like either people assume that I'm not the person who's in charge. And so they walk right by me and go talk to my white counterparts. Or even I've had, I was standing next to my assistant. I was in a suit. She was in some stretch pants because she was helping me unpack my office. And a person came to help us do something. And he spoke to her like she was a vice president. Wow. Like even when I have on the uniform, people will assume that I am everything but the executive that is there to do something. And then even a lot of my peers, as I have become executives, will assume that, oh, she just got. I literally had people say to me, oh, well, you check all the boxes. That's why you got the job. You check all the boxes. You're black and you're a woman. And I'm like, really? It's not because I've got 20 years of experience. (laughs) You think that they would just let somebody run the business because I'm cute? Like, that doesn't make any kind of sense. Like, do you hear what you're saying out loud? And so 
I think that because people think that I'm not equipped, right, to do a job or that I'm not equipped to be in the room or that I shouldn't be at the head of the table or that I shouldn't be the one making the budget decisions, when they find out that I am and when they find out that I do it very well, it's like, oh, oops, oh, right. So like, it's just been this thing, but I think that earlier in my career, I was really taken aback by it. I was surprised by it because I think that as I was coming up, I wasn't a threat, right? Because there's more than enough jobs to go around. There's more than enough roles to go around. There's not like this feeling of scarcity that like- Right, 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 right. Not only are there challenges, but I also think that there are some additional jobs, if you will, that come with the role just because I am a woman. I am a Black woman and I will always be a Black woman. I'm unapologetically a Black woman, right? And so it's like, all right, yeah, I'm going to wear my hair natural. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had to have with other Black people who are like, well, can I really wear my hair? I'm like, yes, you can wear your hair the way God made it. Of course you can. Like, yes, right? You still have to come to work looking like you're coming to work. You know, we talk about this double bind for women where you're either too bossy or you're too nice and there's no middle, but it's like you're describing a triple bind. Yeah. I don't think it's ever been called that, but that's what I'm I'm hearing as you talk. It's okay. So there's personality, but then there's just this whole bias or whatever we want to call it, right? We call it, we call these things all different things. And just navigating that I'm sure can be exhausting. And I'm, I want to ask you, what is your experience? Maybe you haven't experienced that in terms of feeling like overwhelming self-doubt or not feeling adequate in the role. Talk a little bit about that. And I see your smile. <laughs> well, I cannot stand the phrase imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because I think that it is built on this notion that we're not supposed to be there and that we're pretending. Right. I think that it's Something completely different to get a new job that's challenging, that might be scary. That is different than me pretending like I'm supposed to be somewhere that I'm not. Right. right? And right. I think that it's women experiencing all those microaggressions, experience all that kind of the new kind of form of sexism that makes them think, well, oh, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be right. there. Or I'm not good enough to be there. Right. Exactly. People in the room are just being rude and obnoxious. And it's not your imagination. It's not something you need to fix. It's something that the people who brought you in the room need to help fix because people see it and they don't always correct it, right? They're not, you know, it's like this idea of, of stop being like just a passive ally and really be an active co-conspirator. I heard someone talk about that once and I was like, that is exactly what we need. This is not like, oh, let me talk to everybody offline about how they need to, behave better. Let's nip it in the bud right in the moment. Let's have the conversations and make it clear that that kind of behavior just isn't going to be tolerated because I think that everybody needs space to grow into their job. Because if you're moving into a role and you already know how to do everything, that's not really growth, right? right? That's not development, right? But what you want is people around you that want you to be successful, not people that assume, oh, you took my job because you're a woman or Oh, you took my job. And so it is, I think it is very difficult, Janet, to find people who want you to be successful as you go higher up. The thing that really strikes me is how that place of mentoring, it's like you put somebody in a role and then you expect them. It's like, okay, well, now you're a director. So you've been anointed. So now you know all this stuff. And what I find working with people is that, oh my gosh, now what do I do? And that's, Pretty much everyone that I work with, we have this expectation. She's not acting like a director. And 
for women, they call it like this, this phenomenon called the glass cliff, where it's like, okay, well, she must not be worthy enough to be here because she hasn't passed all these hoops rather than, okay, how do I help? How do I mentor? How do I teach? How do I make sure that she's successful? What we've got to do for those folks that are coming up the pipe is we got to get them early exposure. Yeah. And people need to understand it's one thing to know how to do the work. It's another to understand how to navigate the political landscape, right? Because what you're really dealing with is a whole bunch of people at the end of the day. And you've got to know how to build interpersonal relationships. You've got to understand what the social norms are within the organization that you work in. Otherwise, you're just going to be all over the place. Yeah. And that's so true. I think it's regardless of gender. That's regardless of anything. Right. That political navigating that political landscape. It's so true. And also, I love what you just said about this whole notion of really stepping into the the mentoring and becoming like a learning play organization versus, okay, let's see if you can prove yourself type of organization. That's it. There's a big difference there. Right. Proving ground. Absolutely. Because I've seen some men and some women, to your point, fall off the glass cliff. Right. Because They have all this great technical knowledge, especially I think that it's probably very easy to do in the STEM fields, especially, right? Because you have all this great technical understanding of what it is we're doing. But when you get to a point to where most of your job is interacting with customers and building teams, your understanding of the technology is nice. It's irrelevant, really, at some point. (laughs) Sometimes, right? But can you do all these other things? Can you build relationships and get things done across organizational boundaries, internally, externally, with suppliers, with customers? There are all these things you have to navigate that have nothing to do with technology and everything to do with people. Yeah. Right? And that's where I think there's an identity shift, right? Is really trying to see that, hey, I'm a people leader. I'm not just an expert. Yeah. That's a huge shift. Absolutely. What I worry about sometimes is we have these standards and these notions of perfection that are unattainable and they're not real, right? So, you know, so you're talking a successful woman, you've done all these wonderful things. And so you got it all together and people think, oh my gosh, the epitome of perfection. And a lot of the women I talk to, and yet I know that's going to be farther than the truth, right? Because none of us are perfect. We are, we may gain a, le- a certain level of success, but it's trial and error. It's like, okay, whoops, I need to go this way. It's all growth and learning. But can you talk about something that you characterized as a failure or something that didn't go as well and what you learned from it? I would say that like, I've been very fortunate on so many levels, but a lot of things didn't always go the way that I wanted them to. Like, When I moved to Baltimore, the level of anger and animosity just towards my presence, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't equipped for it. I had grown up in very polite Los Angeles. (laughs) I spent most of my time in very polite Los Angeles. And to go back where it was a little more in your face, a little more like, what? Like people didn't, I was not equipped for it, right? And so I found myself for the first time failing at the interpersonal connection. Because it's always been pretty easy for me to find like some common ground and make connections with people. And I, I was like, there's, I, you haven't known me for more than five minutes. You couldn't possibly be this mad at me. I haven't had a chance to make you angry, right? And I just, I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't ready for what it would mean to move away from my family, move away, start moving into a new organization. I had just grossly underestimated 
what all that might mean to me. And I had this like, oh, it's fine. Everything's always been fine. It'll work out. And then it wasn't. And I really didn't know what to do, but I didn't want to give up either because I didn't want to give people like the satisfaction. But I probably took a couple of years off my life, like trying to navigate and fix something that couldn't be fixed. that didn't really have anything to do with me. And so I think that it was a failure in the sense that I thought that I had all the answers. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, this isn't even me. And it's not even my problem to fix and trying to like, just have those conversations with myself to know like how it goes. Now I've had some things not go right at work, but we always fix them. Right. I mean, and that's the beauty of being an engineer is the same folks that pay us to put stuff together also pay us to fix them and keep them working. And so we'll have these sad moments, right? Where sometimes things just do not go the way that we want them to. Mm-hmm. I always like the things that don't go right or the program that people are like, oh, there's no way that program's ever going to work out. I'm like, ooh, put me on that one. Yeah. Well, you know, see, Candace, what you're saying, I, and I just want to point this out before we move on to the next question is you are expecting sometimes that things won't work. And your whole mindset and the way you orient yourself is like, okay, we'll fix it. It's a, you know, without using the buzzwords, right? It's a growth mindset, right? It's like, I'm going to to move on and I'm comfortable enough in my own skin to realize that's not my identity. That doesn't affect me personally. It's not that it doesn't affect you personally, but that's not going to define who you are. It's going to continue to move you and evolve you and grow you. And I'm actually reading a book right now about the fear of failure for people like me who have got the mindset, the growth mindset in some spots, but in some spots, it'll lose us. It's a fantastic read because I need it because I'm so used to, if I try something, it works or it works out, you know, enough that when I do something and it doesn't work out like immediately, I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And so, yeah. I think you describe, I think a lot of people that are listening or, or watching are thinking, oh gosh, that's me. Another really good book on that. It's a lot of research in this book. It's really powerful is immunity to change. It's okay. how we're actually, we have competing priorities that are unconscious yeah. that are competing assumptions or things that are competing against what we want. So anyway, it's a really, I would recommend that book as well. Okay. But now we've got two good books to recommend to everybody. Yeah. What inspirational quote would you offer to people listening and watching that would you think would inspire the leaders listening? You know, one of my favorite quotes is something, it goes something to this effect of you're never given a dream unless you have the capacity to fulfill it. That one sticks with me all the time because I can remember like having this vision of myself or always wanting to borrow my mom's blazer and sunglasses. I wanted (laughs) to be a businesswoman. I knew I wanted to be a businesswoman on some level. And there's just, it's just been in me. I didn't know how it was going to come to fruition, but I really love that that idea that the seed is planted in you and you have to decide how you want to nurture it and how you want to grow it, but you should go after it. Love that. And there you are with your, your blazer. (laughs) (laughs) I've got my own blazer. There you go. It's not even your mom's, right? And then finally, last thing, just to allow you in case I didn't ask you a question, right? Because I, there's only so many questions I can ask you in this short time. But do you have any other parting words that you want to share that you didn't share that you want to tell us before we end? I think that all people, regardless of your background, regardless of 
you know, your gender, just go after it. If there's something that you want, go after it. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't do because you can do anything that you put your mind to with the right amount of preparation and the right opportunities that have to present themselves. Just have at it, right? Like I just, I think that sometimes 10 people can tell you something positive and one person to say something negative and we will latch onto that negative one. I just wish we would all do that thing where we would spend more time listening to the 10 positive things and just disregard the negative one and just go for it. Because what's the worst that could happen? You could end up in the job you have. Okay. (laughs) I feel like you should at least try. You try something. If it doesn't work out, you try something else. It's okay. You know, isn't it interesting how logical what you're saying is and how we can cognitively kind of know that, but yeah. then it's not, we don't practice it. So that is really inspirational, Candace. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Janet. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And always remember this, every single moment you have a choice in what you say, what you do, and how you make people feel. Pause and make those choices wisely and intentionally because every single moment, those choices are who you become as a leader. See you next time.